Welcome to the Expansive CEO Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Chapman, founder of Expansive CEO and X Squared Wealth Planning. Buckle in as we explore how to create true prosperity and build a business and a life that expands beyond yourself and makes a dent in the universe. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this next installment of Investment Friday on the Expansive CEO Podcast. Today, November 9th, it is just me. Brad is celebrating his son's wedding. Uh, so we send him lots of love and lots of congratulations. And we will see him next week for Investment Friday. There are two very important things that I wanted to talk about today, though, and uh, to do this episode solo. So the first thing we're going to touch on is the comments from Jerome Powell today um, that have kind of rocked the markets a little bit. It's 3.42 p.m. right now, Eastern time. Um, So financial markets in the U.S. are still open, but they are down quite a bit on the day. Um, So we'll touch on that for just a moment and talk a little bit about what his comments meant and what the market is taking them to mean. And then we're going to talk about the tail wagging the dog when it comes to taxes in your investment portfolio. And what I mean by that is making the taxes the most important thing rather than actually growing your business and growing your portfolio. And so I have some really interesting um, things that we're going to talk about in that segment as well. So that's what we've got on the docket for today. So let's start with what Jerome Powell said today at the Fed meeting, the FOMC, Federal Open Market Committee meeting, that made the markets really have a, you know, uh, we call it a shedding um, day or, or, you know, a down day. Um, The Dow Industrial Average was down more than 200 points last time I checked. Um, You know, the S&P 500 was down several points as well. And it's all because Jerome Powell came out and said that they are not sure that they have done enough with raising interest rates to be able to keep inflation at their target rate of 2% over time. So the Fed would like to see inflation at a long-term rate of 2%. That's what they feel is healthy for an economy, right? We want to see some inflation that's healthy, that's growth, but we don't want to see three and a half, four, five percent as a long-term uh, as a long-term inflation rate. So when he came out and said, you know, we may have not, we may not have done enough yet to keep inflation at our target rate of 2%. That's when the market said, uh-oh, we think maybe he means they're going to raise interest rates again. And if we raise interest rates again, then that's going to make, you know, it make it harder for businesses to get credit. It's going to, you know, cause more defaults. All the things that Brad and I have been talking about on the podcast with higher interest rates, um, those aspects can be a real problem um, for the economy and the market is ready or, you know, quote unquote, uh, ready to be at a pause, 
to not have interest rates raise anymore. And what's interesting is that last week, just a week ago, um, when they said they were not raising interest rates, that was the decision. We are not raising interest rates right now. The, the stock market popped. It really you know, had um, a rally that day. We went up you know, several percent within a couple of days because they said, hey, we're pausing right now. We are not going to raise interest rates. What we are seeing now, right now, it's like the worry that the the overall worry in the financial markets, uh, again, this is a collective measure that, huh, we might actually see another interest rate hike. At the same time, when the committee members are literally still talking about maybe doing another quarter percent rate hike in December, the futures market, what the what the overall you know traders think is going to happen is still set at zero, no hike. So if we see a rate hike, of you know a quarter percent or what we call 25 basis points 0.25 percent in December we'll likely see another you know shedding um, another down day um, with the stock market because of that news so we aren't sure we're not necessarily out of the woods yet when it comes to knowing exactly what interest rates are going to look like and it's all going to be dependent. You know, we can't, we can't know. We can't say, we know for sure that we're done raising interest rates. We know for sure we're going to start seeing cuts next year um, and rates coming down. We can't say that because we don't know what inflation looks like yet. We have to, you know, let some of these other factors play out a little bit longer. And if inflation continues to be high, the Fed has said they're going to keep raising just a little bit. So we'll see. We'll see what happens um, with this announcement. But we, you know, we have we are at a level that is higher than we've seen in decades, right? This, I mean, there's no um, there's no way around that. We haven't seen this many rate hikes since the 1980s. Um, so this is certainly something we haven't experienced in a long time, and we have to just wait wait and see, you know, it's a wait and see, um, right at this moment. So I wanted to touch on that for now. And again, in the next couple of weeks, we'll know, we'll know if they're going to raise interest rates again or hold steady, right? It'll all depend on what the inflation numbers come in at. Moving on, I am actually really excited to talk about how we we formulate our thoughts around taxes as business owners and investors because it's such a it's such a big topic and it does touch quite a few things. Um, and I have really had some fascinating conversations recently with people around this exact topic. So Letting the tax tail wag the dog is uh, the way that I have heard this said. And, you know, again, I've been um, doing financial planning for a long time, for um, about 17 years. And I had 
the first time I was exposed to that, um, that little idiom, I was like, what does that even mean? Like I, you're saying weird stuff over here and I don't know what you're talking about. So to define that, letting the tail wag the dog means letting an unimportant or side, um, side issue overtake the main issue, be center stage rather than the main issue, right? Or the main goal. So it's any time that we're letting, again, a less important issue trump a more important issue. Uh, Another another way that I've I looked it up and saw it described was that the idiom tail wagging the dog is a way to describe a small component of a whole dominating the whole. And I was like, okay, yep, got it. That makes sense. So when we talk about letting the tax tail wag the dog, it means we're letting the taxes themselves be the most important aspect instead of your growth strategy. So Taxes are extremely important. I want to say that first. Doing tax planning can be one of the most important and impactful things that you do in your investing career, right? If you are an investor for a very long time, learning how to mitigate taxes is hugely important or a business owner, right? So this is this is a very important aspect and I don't want to diminish the importance of tax planning in general, but tax planning cannot and should not come at the expense of growth, should not come at the expense of profit, should not come at the expense of long-term future thinking. So first, let's talk about the decisions that you can make right now that affect taxes right now, right? So that's that's the thing um, actually between CPAs and accountants and then, you know, wealth advisors and financial advisors, we are sometimes every once in a while at odds with one another when it comes to tax planning because your CPA or your accountant, the person helping you with your taxes, wants to find ways to reduce taxes today. That's their main prerogative for most people. I'm not going to you know, give a blanket statement and say that's everyone, but for most accountants and most CPAs, their main goal is to lower your taxes today and to make sure that you are doing that in you know, a legal and um, legal, moral, moral, ethical way, right? Like that's that's the goal. We want to mitigate taxes is a good way to say that. But as a financial advisor, we are also, you know, I am also looking into the future, one year, five years, 10 years, 20 years, sometimes 30 or 40 years into the future and saying, you know what, the decisions that we make today will actually affect your taxes when you are 80 years old. And there can be huge, huge differences um, in what your taxes look like in the future based on what you do today. So there's this, this balance between 
planning for today and making sure we're making really good decisions in the today, in the now. And then also looking at the future and making good decisions for the future. And when we can do all of that, when you can make a plan that addresses both and does, you know, does service to mitigating taxes today and paying attention to what taxes will be like in the future, that's where the gold is. So why, why do we want to show taxable income? So now I'm talking to my entrepreneurs, my business owners. Why do we want to show taxable income? Why is it helpful, right? Because for a lot of business owners, I have had these conversations before. A lot of business owners come to me wanting to pay as little in taxes as possible, preferably down to zero if they can. And so that means if you're not paying anything in taxes and you're showing basically zero income in your business or very, very little income in your business, that's how you get to that, you know, zero to almost no taxes. But what does that then do, right? That's the problem. What does that then do if you're not showing income in your business, taxable income? First of all, it affects your ability to get financing and credit when you need it. If you're not showing any actual positive revenue, positive income, it's very difficult to get a mortgage on a house or get a HELOC on your existing house, um, home equity line of credit, or you know to get a, a car loan or to get you know anything to get financing for your business, right? If you need a business loan, if you are constantly showing zero or negative on your on your net income, that's a problem. The other piece next or next would be potentially social security. If you think you're ever going to get social security in the future. Um, I do personally believe that social security will always be there in some way, shape or form. Um, I don't think it will look the same as it looks today. I am, I say it all the time. I'm 39. Um, so I think for me, for my generation and people around, you know, like especially 45 and, and younger, social security is going to look very different for us than it looks for anyone who is currently 60 or older, especially that like 45 to 60 range. I don't know. I don't know what y'all Gen Xers are going to um, be dealing with, but um, I know for, you know, my, I know I say that so confidently. Um, I, I am relatively confident that it's going to be pretty different for me when I turn, you know, 67 or 70 or 72, right? I don't know when social security is going to start for me. That said, your social security benefit is based on your income each year. And so we could talk about that more. And if anyone wants to hear more about that, I'm happy to do an episode on social security. So you know, just send me an email, send me a, send me a comment um, on one of my social media platforms. Tell me if you want to hear about social security. Um, again, I'm happy to talk about it. But the way that it works is that you have to show income. You have to show that you had income in each year in order to qualify for benefit for that year. And they take the average of your highest 35 earnings years, and that's what your benefit amount is based on in the future. So, you know, if you have, 
mostly, you know, zero to very little earnings, you will also have zero to very little social security when you get to that stage of life. Um, so that's just one aspect um, of showing taxable income, why, you know, why it might matter. The next piece is that showing taxable income, when I am working with clients, you know, part of that that aspect of like if you have positive revenue, that is literally the measure of if you're able to pay yourself from your business. So many business owners that I have talked to who are not paying themselves regularly, they are also the ones who tend to be very, very worried about taxes and want to pay as little in taxes as little in taxes as possible. But what they're not necessarily realizing is that that's also then limiting their ability to generate the income that they desire to actually have stable and steady, peaceful finances on the personal side. So yes, if you're if you are so concerned about the taxes, you're probably not leaning into growing your business as fully as you could, as fully as you could be if you knew, hey, if I just plan for the taxes, I can make as much money as I want. And I can then, you know, be able to pay taxes, be able to pay myself, be able to um, save for the future, all those things. Lastly, if you ever, and potentially most importantly um, in this discussion, is that if you ever want to sell your business in the future, you have to show income. And even more important than income, you need to be showing profit every year. And where does profit come from? Profit comes from having lower expenses than your overall revenue. It comes from, you know, your revenue was $500,000 and your expenses were $400,000, right? That's that split, that $100,000 is your profit. You have to have lower expenses than your revenue in order to have profit in your business. And in order to sell your business in the future, you need to be able to show a buyer that you have a viable, profitable business that's worthy of buying. And so if you are always focused on, you know, just making enough to cover your needs and then writing off the rest, making, you know, purchases that will lower your, lower your, um, lower your revenue basically, or raise your expenses is a better way to put that. Like if you're always trying to make your expenses match your revenue, you're never going to show profit in your business. And it's going to come off badly if you're trying to sell it. I talked to so many uh, mergers and acquisitions people people in M&A, people who are business brokers of some you know sort or another who have so many stories. I hear stories all the time of people who are like, okay, I've been working for 30 years. I'm really ready you know, to start. I want to sell my business as soon as possible. What does it look like? And when they go back and look through all of their, you know, their last few years of revenue, they're not showing any profit. And it's and the the way the M and A advisors have to look at it is like, hey, we we really needed to have this discussion five years ago, 
and start making changes so that you would show some profit so that we could, you know, guide you into a a lucrative business sale or a business sale that will fund your retirement, right? That's that's what people want to have happen with their businesses a lot of times. They spend so much time and effort growing the business and then they think that okay, this is going to be my retirement asset. I'm going to hopefully sell it in the future. Well, you have to think about that from the beginning. So deciding to show profit from the beginning, deciding to build your business in a way where you are able to pay yourself, where you're able to show profit, where you're able to you know, save for your own taxes, that is how you create a business that will eventually be sellable, potentially. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean it will sell for sure, but you'll have a way better chance at that actually happening. So I wanted to give a couple of examples here. And these are, again, like real world examples, of, you know, classes that I have taught, business owners that I have worked with. Um, and then in the final two examples, when we're talking about uh, Roth assets versus traditional assets, this this is coming from recent calculations that I've done that are just so illustrative illustrative of this um this balance between worrying about lowering taxes today versus lowering taxes in the future. So that's what we're going to go over. So first example um was a group of beautifully heart-centered entrepreneurs um that I worked with once, you know, with talking about personal finances, talking about how to pay yourself you know, how to understand and budget um, or understand your budget, rather, your your own spending for your personal life and for your business so that you can start to figure out how to pay yourself abundantly. And in this group of, of these were all happened to be women, um, a couple of them did retreats. Um, one of them was a consultant. And the questions that came up in that group were, how do I run a retreat and make sure that I can write everything off? And the first time I heard that question, I was like, wait a second. Okay, hold on. So tell me again your question. I don't quite understand. You want to hold a retreat, but you want to write everything off. So you don't want to make any money. And she affirmed, yeah. I don't, I want to be able to write everything off so that I don't have to pay any taxes. And when I thought about that question for a little bit, you know, my, my response was, well, if you just do a run a retreat and you don't make any money off of it, how are you then funding the rest of your life? And the answer was, for her that her husband had a pension and it wasn't really enough for them. You know, they, like she wanted to make more money and I was like, Oh, would it feel better if you, if you were able to bring in more money from your business so you could supplement that pension from your husband? She's like, yeah, that would feel great. But we're really worried about the taxes. And so it had never quite occurred to her that, well, you can charge more for your retreats and you can, 
keep income from your retreats. You can still write off the expenses. Of course, you write off the expenses for the retreat, but you can also charge enough for the retreat so that you make money and you can then save some of that for your taxes. And then you can use the rest of it to help fund your life. And that information was really surprising. You know, this this idea that, oh, I can actually make as much money as I want. I could run retreats and I can charge enough so that I make money and I can run more retreats. And, and I love doing that. And it's so much fun. And if I just save for the taxes, I don't have to worry about the taxes at when it comes, you know, to, for her, it would have been April, um, you know, April 15th. I'm going to have the money that I need if I plan for it in the budget. And so that was, again, super interesting. I, it hadn't really occurred to me from, you know, my my spot as the financial advisor that that would not have been a consideration before, that you can just plan for it. And you can. The second example would be, you know, people who tend to make big purchases at the end of the year solely for the tax write-off, that there's no other reason, like there's no need for more equipment. Um, you know, maybe you're replacing something big kind of early um, or paying, you know, in big business, this looks like, you know, throwing giant um, year-end parties, you know, that, that kind of stuff. Um just to, or the, the, the use it or lose it, right? We have to spend this budget somehow. Otherwise we're going to lose it um, for the next year. It's not quite the same when it comes to entrepreneurs um, and smaller business owners, but we still do see a lot, you know, um, like businesses who are landscapers or um, service trade of any sort, right? Like buy a new vehicle, if you need the new vehicle, then yes, that's a good purchase. If you actually didn't need the new vehicle and you're just doing it for tax purposes, that's more questionable to me. The next example, and this is a really big one, is choosing to invest in traditional IRAs or 401ks. And that traditional could also be a an SEP IRA, SEP IRA, or a simple IRA and choosing the traditional tax deductible option versus using a Roth version, R-O-T-H, Roth version of some of those accounts. Now, the difference is that with the traditional versions, so a tradi traditional 401k, traditional IRA or SEP IRA or simple IRA, any of those, if you put money into that account, it lowers your taxable income. If I have, we'll make numbers really easy. Um, if I have $100,000 of top line revenue and I'm a, you know, an LLC, just a sole proprietor LLC, I have $100,000 of revenue. So that's going to flow through to me on my tax return. If I put $22,000, $22,500 into a traditional 401k for myself, right? I've, I've established a solo 401k. I put $22,500 into it. That's going to lower my taxable income by $22,500.
And so I'm going to pay less taxes because I've lowered my taxable income. It's tax deductible. The traditional IRA does the same thing. I think the the limit is $6,000 uh, this year. So if I put $6,000 into a traditional IRA, it lowers my taxable income by $6,000. What that does is it saves me money on taxes today. That's great. That's a really good option. Sometimes we want to take that option. On the other side are Roth accounts. And there are Roth 401ks. So you can open a, a an individual Roth 401k if you would qualify for that as a business owner. Um, some places are also offering Roth simple IRAs. Um, you can do a Roth, um, just a regular Roth IRA as well. And there are some institutions that are starting to roll out Roth SEP IRAs as well. So we're starting to see this move towards being able to do Roth contributions to all of these different types of retirement accounts. What happens with a Roth versus a traditional? Well, like I said, a traditional account, you get a tax deduction today that lowers your taxable income right away and it grows. It grows for the future. So again, let's say I do that $22,500 into a solo 401k today in 2023, that's going to grow and it's going to grow and grow and grow and grow tax deferred into the future. And when I turn 60 or technically 59 and a half, I can take money out of that. And when I take the money out of the traditional 401k, I'm going to pay regular income taxes on it. As long as I wait until 59 and a half, I can take that money out and just pay that regular tax rate, you know, so maybe that's 12%. If I'm in the 12% bracket, maybe it's 24 or 32, whatever tax bracket you land in, that's your tax rate. On the other side, the Roth IRA, when you put money in, you do not get a tax deduction. So if I choose to do a, a solo Roth 401k and I put 22,500 into the Roth 401k, I do not get the tax deduction today. It does not lower my taxable income today. Okay, so I'm going to pay taxes on that money. What it does though, is that Roth 401k, that 22,500 will grow and grow and grow and grow tax deferred, just like in the other account. You know, it'll grow tax deferred. You never pay taxes on the growth. And then when I turn 59 and a half, I can take that money out of the Roth and never pay taxes. I pay zero taxes on the Roth 401k. So where on the traditional, if I had done the exact same thing and they had grown the exact same way, I would be taking money out of the traditional 401k and paying taxes. Maybe we'll say I'm in the 24% bracket. I'll pay 24% taxes on that money that I pull out. When the Roth side, I pay zero, 0% 0 taxes when I take the money out. And why is this so important? This is so important because if you have one, so I have two situations um, that I've been looking at recently that are such good examples of this. So I have one client who did the most phenomenal job 
of saving early and often. As soon as she got a job, when she got out of college, she was saving as much as she could to her 401k. She's now 50. And so when she started at like 22, max funding her 401k, she made sure she did it every year. Um, she did get a great job right out of college. There's that too. Um, and so she was able to do this, but she made it a priority. She now has a couple million dollars in traditional IRA assets at age 50. And when we look into the future, when we project that out into 10, 20, 30 more years, even 40 more years, when that continues to grow, the taxes, when she has to start taking money out, she is required to take money out. She has to, with a traditional IRA, um, you are required to take money out. Um, right now, the age is 73, I believe. But when you reach that age, you have to take required minimum distributions. Whether you need that money or not, you got to take it out because you have to pay taxes on it. The IRS wants you to pay your taxes. They always want you to pay your taxes. And so if, you're, if you've got it stuffed away in a traditional IRA or, or a 401k, they're going to make you take it out when you turn 73 or 75, whatever it will be in the future. And you're going to pay your taxes. So for her, because she did such a good job of saving up until this point, and there is so much growth potential in that account, over time, she will be paying millions and millions and millions of dollars in taxes because it's all in traditional IRA assets right now. So what do we do with that? Like, oh, okay, well, she did the right thing, right? The quote unquote did the right thing as she was saving um, when she was younger and didn't ever know that maybe this was an option that she should have looked at. You know, maybe back then she could have saved um, into a Roth 401k instead and started to kind of diversify what would, you know, the tax treatment that would be happening in her portfolio. So what are we looking at now? Now we're looking at potentially doing conversions, pulling some of that money out of the traditional IRA and converting it over to Roth, paying the taxes. So what this does, this raises the tax bill today. This does not lower taxes today. She would pay more in taxes in order to get money into the Roth IRA, but then it would grow tax deferred and she will never ever have to pay taxes when she pulls the money out of the Roth IRA. And so that's one super interesting example. The other one is working with a client who has high income, who is excited to start saving for his future, and he's in his early 30s. And so we have lots of time. We have lots of time to save and plan. If he starts right now and saves the maximum amount available, into his, it creates a solo 401k between a traditional and a Roth. If he chooses a traditional 401k, he will pay roughly $6 million in taxes per the um, calculations that we're doing, the you know long longevity um, calculations we're doing. It'll be about $6 million in taxes that he will pay over his lifetime when he has to take that money out. If instead we do the Roth 
uh, 401k choice instead, he will pay more in taxes today, but over his lifetime, he will pay almost no taxes in the later part of his life because everything will be in Roth, Roth assets. And so he will literally pay about $6 million less over his whole lifetime in taxes, which is a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Um, and we wouldn't know that if we didn't do some of these calculations and do some of these experiments, right? Just see what happens. What happens if you fully fund a traditional account versus a Roth account? So those two in particular, right? Someone who has already saved a whole bunch and did such a great job saving for her retirement and now being able to make the choice you know what? You can. You absolutely can. There are other things that we can do to mitigate taxes as well. I am not giving a full analysis here of how how we would, you know, take this full uh, case study um, into the future and mitigate taxes. There are definitely ways that you can lower taxes in the future, but this particular option now of doing conversions, converting traditional IRA assets to Roth IRA assets is one tool that we can look at now. And for the second client, looking at the future of what we want to build, it can be really, really powerful to choose Roth assets now rather than choose to start building traditional assets. So that's that's the conversation. Like you're paying more in taxes today, but you're going to pay a ton less over your lifetime. So... All of that, all of that to say that what are our takeaways for today? First of all, I truly do believe that you know, you're know you shooting yourself in the foot if you purposely spend as much of your revenue as possible each year just to lower your taxes. It will lower your tax bill, sure, but it's not going to give you the ability to grow your wealth, your financial stability, um, your your ability to sell your business. You're not going to be, you know, investing in those aspects of your life if you choose to always pay as little in taxes as possible and make that your only goal. Again, you won't be able, you also won't be building a profitable company. And if you ever want to be able to pivot, do something later in life, um, you know, there there are multiple pieces that go along with this. We need to. We need to be able to save. We need to be able to create those cushions of safety around us with money so that we can make those pivots, so that we can ride out tough economic conditions, so that we can you know, choose our path in life. I truly believe that prosperity is our ability to give generously of our time, of our energy, you know, and, and our money from a place of having enough. Like I have so much, I am so, you know, filled, my cup is overflowing and now I can give from overflow in my time, my energy and my money. And that comes from creating surplus. It comes from creating surplus that you can then give away, right? So this is also a piece of, you know, prosperity planning. And finally, final takeaway is that if you have a financial advisor that can do these kinds of long-term projections for you, ask them, 
Absolutely. Absolutely ask them if, hey, what does it look like if we do Roth instead of traditional? Can I do Roth instead of traditional? Should I be doing something today different with my tax strategy to set me up even better for the future? And the difference, again, the difference is profound. It is absolutely mind-blowing when you see the numbers when you do these calculations. And if you don't have that person, if you don't have a financial advisor that can do these types of calculations, give me a call. That's one of the ways that I help my clients plan for the future in X-squared wealth planning. So in that capacity as a certified financial planner, it's such an important piece to look at. It's not just what are we doing today. Today is important. One year from now is important. Five years from now is important. But so is 30 years from now, right? We need to have an idea of what that looks like so that you can make decisions today from a place of empowerment and so that you don't get 20 years down the road and say, man, I wish I would have known. I wish someone would have told me. I'm telling you now. I'm giving you the information. Um, so that's that's my my uh, my heart is to help people make sound financial decisions that they go, yes, I'm so glad I had support in making that best decision for me and my family. So again, some ad- some financial advisors do have software that can do this kind of um, long term planning. Some do not, um, but ask. If you have a financial advisor, ask. Ask if they can do that. If you don't, give me a call or send me an email. You can reach me at Hannah, H-A-N-N-A-H, at expansiveceo.com if you have any questions about the podcast. And you can also check me out at my my X Squared Wealth Planning website at X, then the numeral two, wealth.com, x2wealth.com. And you can see how I work with clients there and book a call to see if you want to find out what it would be like to work together. So if you have any questions, if this tax discussion brought up anything for you that was like, "Mm, I don't know, I have more questions about that, let me know. Because we're in tax planning season right now. This is such a good time. November, December is the window that you have to do tax planning for 2023. Um, And I, I... I want so much for everyone listening to this podcast, everyone who is a client of mine in any any capacity to have clarity about their taxes. It's one of our bi- biggest expenses every year, um, whether you're a business owner or not. And being able to make sound decisions around your taxes is so important. So send me questions, especially if you have tax questions um, this time of year. Happy to help talk about it. And um, yeah, you can reach me at Hannah, again, Hannah at expansiveceo.com or on any social platform where you follow me. Send me a comment, send me a question, send me a DM. I'm happy to hear from you. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week and we'll talk to you next time. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening and be sure to like and subscribe. And again, if anything resonated with you from this episode, I would love to hear from you. Email me at Hannah, H-A-N-N-A-H, at expansiveceo.com and tell me about it. And if you're ready for your greatest expansion, 
You can find ways to work with me at expansiveceo.com and at xsquaredwealthplanning.com. That's X, the numeral two, wealthplanning.com. So until next time, remember that there is enough, you are enough, and your birthright in this lifetime is to be expansive. <laughs>